Hello, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today I'm speaking to Rick Warner, who is the executive director of ERC, the Extraterrestrial Research Center. He is a UFO researcher and certified MUFON investigator. He is a producer, director, and filmmaker. He's also the ambassador for the Italian UFO Federation, FUI. Rick provides private martial arts lessons when he's not participating in paranormal research and efforts or studying topics related to science and technology. Welcome, Rick. Hey, welcome. Nice to be on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you for a variety of reasons. One is I actually feel like a kinship to people who do martial arts because I used to do Kung Fu. Oh, okay. Fantastic. What did you study? Um, I studied in a school that was basically just an American Kung Fu. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, It wasn't any particular style or anything like that? No, uh, I did have a Shifu, though. So they tried. They tried to be a little Eastern. but um, And and I once saw his Shifu, which was really cool. That was a cool day. But I have noticed that there's a lot of people who get into martial arts and... um, some of the Eastern philosophies and religions who get drawn into the phenomenon. Do you find that to be the case also? Yeah. You know, I, I definitely think so really. Um, you know, I remember when, you know, cause I've had so many different instructors over a period of time, but you know, we would go through uh, some meditation sessions and to really open your mind and clear your thoughts and, you know, relax your being. So you're, you feel at peace with yourself. So, you know, that was, that was kind of a cool thing, kind of a cool experience, especially if you feel all tense from your work day or things that you were doing. And now you're trying to uh, meditate and relax and kind of take your body and mind into, um, a more of a relaxed state. I actually think that could be potentially the cause. Like even Tai Chi is a little bit like meditation. So it, it may be that we're just kind of opening up a window when we're meditating that is yeah. sort of inviting the paranormal into our lives, so to speak. So yeah, can you tell us most a little definitely. bit? Yes. Can you tell us about what brought you into the paranormal in general? Well, um, you know, it's really been quite a journey. Uh, so, you know, when, when I was a kid, I remember I was with my mom and her friend. And we were living in California at the time, Southern California. And we were driving by, I think it was called the Garden Grove Freeway at the time, the 22 Freeway, which runs east and west. And they weren't really paying attention to much what was going on because they were kind of engaged in conversation, looking at each other. But I see this, what appeared to me as an extraterrestrial craft flying above um, the overpass there. And it's, it's like it just flew by, it's like just a blink of an eye, it like flew by real quick and then 
all of a sudden it took off at incredible speed and then it was just gone, you know? So, <clears throat> um, you know, I definitely, at the time I thought, well, that had to be something extraterrestrial. Now they didn't see anything, like I said, because they were too busy engaging in their conversation, looking at each other. But I remember I didn't want to talk to any kids about it at school because mm-hmm. I thought, you know, they thought it was crazy because, I mean, there was a time when in the lunchroom, you know, you would talk about uh, man going to the moon and people thought you were nuts. And now wow. they're the old, you know. So, um, you know, that had happened. And, you know, I always had uh, an interest in anything that's extraterrestrial. And um, so later down the road in my life, you know, I, I've watched a lot of these shows that talk about, you know, the uh, UFO type shows, UFO phenomenon mm-hmm. and different things. And then I saw a show one time and it was like a lot of these um, investigators from MUFON. So I see this, these hats that say MUFON on it. and I do a search and then I find the MUFON website. And then I signed up for a local chapter in the state of Delaware. And then I did my training to become a a certified field investigator. In the beginning, you're just kind of like on probation, you know, just want to see how you're going to do. And then from there, you know, I took my test. It was a pretty big test. And they have this manual. And I remember reading the manual and I thought, man, I go, I didn't really like the way it was indexed, but it had a lot of really good information, just really deep on everything. So there's definitely a lot of stuff to study, a lot of things to go through. And then I ended up taking my tests and passing it. And, um, you know, started out there uh, with a team of other investigators and kind of like different levels, you know, like you'll be, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask how many investigations did you do or have done with MUFON? Uh, um, I wouldn't say really a lot with them. You know, it's, you know, maybe I, I probably did like a large handful of investigations. Um, I wasn't really with them for more than a couple of years. Uh, part of that reason was, you know, I love the training. You know, I thought the training was great. But on the other end of how they were doing things, I didn't like the way they did some things as far as, uh, you know, the guy that was the director for um, the state of Delaware, you know, he was with them for a very long time. And then, you know, and it's all volunteer, you know, you don't get paid to do anything. So you pay for everything. You pay Mm -hmm. for equipment, you pay, you know, for, all your testing and all that kind of stuff. And so they wanted to start charging, you know, to use the logo and and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, this guy was just, you know, he's living off his retirement money and he wasn't really happy about it, which, you know, I don't blame him. He's like, well, you know, we shouldn't have to be paying this price. Cause even you said, Hey, I just don't have the money to be paying for this. So they kind of kicked the guy to the curb and then, you know, we, we all kind of backed the guy up and kind of left and kind of thought the same thing. So we thought, well, we were going to start our own organization. And so 
Um, originally, some of the people that I was with, um, one person left the organization. And then after that, before we even really actually even got it off to the ground, you know, he kind of just left and thought, no, I don't think I want to do this anymore. So he left and then someone else left yeah. that didn't really do very much anyway. And so, it's, you know, yeah, I it's... built the whole ERC website myself, yeah. Extraterrestrial Research Center. It's, so, it's fa- fascinating. And I, and I told myself, because I'm a very, well, I'm a very driven person. And once I decide I'm going to follow through and do something, I follow through with it. So I told myself, like, look, if you if all you guys are going to leave and then bail, you know, I mean, that's sad. But, you know, no matter what, I'm going to see this through. And I did. And I had one guy that was with me. Now, he he was he was a um, he's a UFO um, researcher, but he's not a certified field investigator from MUFON. Like he didn't go through and do the training and go through MUFON University and all that. But that was OK. He was good at what he did and so he wanted to stay with me and i thought well that's cool this guy's staying with me so he became the uh um the director of research and coming into starting my own organization um there's no way that i wanted to be mufon there's no way because you know mufon they're in like every single state throughout the united states and also some like european countries and things like that and, you know, they have, you know, you have chief investigator and your state section director and your assistant state director and state director and all that. Well, I didn't want to compete with all that because you have to have, uh, number one, to be able to grow to that capacity. You have to have a lot of volunteers and you're going to move up. So my whole thing was I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to have an organization where people can come and you could educate people through through learning. Um, you know, there's a lot of resources there on the website where people can learn. There's like a glossary of terms. There's educational videos or stuff that talks about different research and things like that. And if somebody has a case, they can still submit a case. But the only different it the only difference is I'm hand selecting what cases that I want to investigate. So I only investigate cases that have um, video footage or photographic evidence, you know, something that backs up, like, you know, what kind of claim, you know, because, I mean, anybody could tell you anything. I've seen this and I've seen that. And you don't really want to insult anybody and call them, you know, say, well, you know, I think you're a liar. I don't believe you or you think you're just nuts. But. Um, you really can't just take somebody just on their word alone unless they're a very credible witness yeah. and you know they've had a lot of experience with this kind of thing. So I basically, think... you know, you have to do your due diligence and do a thorough investigation. I think that is one of the problems so that the paranormal community faces is the fact that um, evidence means something different for different people. And it's almost um you know it depends on the person essentially what they count as evidence for me it was the government documents um were probably the most convincing um just the abundance of them (laughs) thousands and thousands (laughs) well i mean yeah but i mean you know here's the thing i mean like 
yeah, you know, there's government documents, things out, out like that. But, you know, what, also there's a lot of, there's a lot of black line um, stuff done with markers and things where they block, block off stuff they don't want you to read or, you know, um, there's also um, a lot of stuff that, that they don't want people to know. I mean, you know, there's, there's secret government organizations that are real hush hush about things that don't want the word to get out there about, you know, stuff that's been going on for years. And I've always said, and here's the thing. So, um, 80 to 85% of what people claim they saw when it comes to extraterrestrial type subject matter is due to a natural phenomenon um, or a man-made object, you know, or it could be, you know, some um, something, you know, some uh, something like a planet or a star or, you know, different things like that. So there's people that legitimately just don't know and they think they're moving something. And they said, well, I was out in my backyard at night and as I'm moving my head from left to right, and bobbing back and forth, I see this, you know, this uh, extraterrestrial, very bright object, you know, shining at me. And then they think that it's moving. Well, no, it's you moving that makes it appear. It's kind of like if you're driving through these roads and you see the moon's on one side. And then you go, wait a minute, now it's over here, you know. So it's it's that you're moving in the vehicle. So it's giving it appearance that it's kind of like moving along. So, but if you take the small percentage, even at 15% throughout the world, that's a lot of activity that just yeah. can't be explained. I did the yeah. stats on it a little bit today, actually, because there was an article recently talking about the top five countries in the world for UFO sightings. And the math was about... Um, I want to say it was something like 120,000 sightings have been yeah. reported um, in five countries. And there are quite a lot of countries that were not included in that number. So if you <laughs> if you say five countries is 120,000 and then do the math, it's a ridiculous amount of sightings. And then you add all the people who wouldn't report um who don't report because yeah. because i didn't report mine i'm guessing as a kid you did not report yours um yeah. so that's a huge number of sightings and it only takes one we only need yeah. one to be an extraterrestrial or non-human intelligence of some kind that we don't have an explanation for to and, and there's a lot of stuff that could be debunked like i'm going to give you an example okay um, so in, De in state of Delaware, matter of fact, this lady that was, um, had a high position working in the, um, Dover air force base and, um, she was retired with them, you know, she retired, but anyway, that was her, her position. And she said, well, you know, there's stuff that she's seen in the past that she doesn't even really want to talk about. So. Um, a case was given to me that was labeled as a class three case. 
cat category three, um, basically where somebody saw extraterrestrial craft or they think they saw an alien being of some kind. And what she had reported was that it was a cloudy day. It was, wasn't raining out, but it was getting ready to rain. And she had her little dog that she was walking. This is down a residential street on a sidewalk. And there's a pond, right? This man-made pond, but pretty good-sized pond. And she thought, oh, wow, you know, this looks really cute. There's all the little geese and stuff in front of the pond. She thought she'd take a picture of it. So she takes a picture of it. But then, she, you know, her, do her dog's kind of like whining, afraid, and she couldn't really understand why that was happening. Well, when she gets home... She thinks, I'm going to go and look at the picture. She looks at the picture, okay? And there's what she reported seeing was a large green reptilian, or what she thought was reptilian, as an alien, okay? And then the other was a um, some type of extraterrestrial craft. Okay, so so the first thing we do, you know, so it wasn't like, it was like maybe an hour and a half drive or something like that to get down there, maybe closer to two hours now that I'm thinking about it. So we go down there, we go there and um, thought, well, you know, we're going to um, bring a um, test for radiation just to make sure there's no radiation in the area before we go too far. And we had talked about taking soil samples and different things like that and we wanted to see you know what was going on there so um so one of the pictures i was looking at you can see a shadow of what looked like the shape of an extraterrestrial craft now mind you there was no detail to this object this craft it just looked like this big shadow shaped saucer looking thing and the first thing that I was doing was when I drove down there, it just happened to be a cloudy day. So, that, you know, we use like a special software that'll go back into history and tell you exactly what the weather was during that day and time. So we go back, we look at the weather, this and that. And when we go out to investigate, we had very similar weather, similar um, circumstances weather-wise. So... And one of the things that I noticed was that as the cars were driving by, you could see, because um, it looked like it just kind of like rained a little bit previously, but you could see that there was a shadow being cast underneath the car. Now, there was no sun out, right? Because I'm thinking to myself, a lot of times people think, well, you need to have the sun out to cast the shadow. Not necessarily true. That's not always true. So um, then I'm studying the, the shadow. There was where she took the picture was where she thought she saw a craft. There was a lot of trees all lined up side by side. Okay. And I go and I look close up the area. There wasn't any, um, there were no, you know, we checked with all the lo local police. There were no reports from anyone as far as anybody seeing any type of what they thought was a craft, uh, extraterrestrial craft. And, you know, when you saw how this big dark shadow 
would just this black shadow would be behind all these big tall branches and you look up and go okay there's no sun so then we came to the conclusion that what happened was is that which makes sense because the reason why there was no detail of of any no windows no nuts and bolts no parts nothing i mean just it looked like it was just made out of a shadow so and, and that's because that's exactly what it was it's just that the way the light was hitting things it made it give it this saucer like appearance now getting to what she thought was a reptilian so we were able to um we were able to deter find the exact gps location of where she was standing when she took the pictures right to where she was exactly standing so we went down there we figured everything out we measured at what what the height of the tree would be and we drove we drove my car we got in my car we drove around the pond went there we actually called the local authorities and let them know that we're conducting an investigation so you see us out there we want to just share with you what's going on and as we drove around i found according to matching up the photograph where the green object was that she thought was a reptilian okay Mm-hmm. And all it ended up being in the photo, it kind of looked like a rep, giant reptilian, but in reality, all it was was a it was just a tree, and at the top of the tree, um, it looked like like two big old, you know, a couple big old eyes or something like that. So, um, and then I'm thinking, you know, we were talking about it, and we thought. Well, you know what? Maybe that was a bear or something. And that's the eyes of the bear. And it just got up there. Well, so the next thing we did is we were at the base of the tree. And I noticed that I debunked that theory. Because had it been a bear, the bark would have been ripped off the tree. Because I could easily take my fingers and peel off this bark. That was like a real rough bark. But it was like, you, and you could easily peel it back with your finger. And then it would be pink behind the bark. And there was no sign of any claws or any kind of bark removed. We also checked the ground around there. There was no um, um, no scat from any bear that left any you know stool samples or anything like that. So we didn't see anything, but we did notice at the very very top. You know, it looks like there's some like large pine cones or something. So that's what she thought were with the eyes. So. Um, and here's somebody who that was in the military with a very credible position. So sometimes even people that have credibility can be mistaken on things, you know. But okay. her fears were playing into her based on her experiences that she had in the past um, because she had sent me some pictures of her back where she had some, like, weird markings on there and she didn't know where they came from, so... You know, but we never really got to doing a, an experiencer case or any type of um, abduction thing. So, um, do you feel? Can I? You know, can she I didn't want to go to that thing, but yeah, yeah. I was going to ask: Do you feel yeah, sometimes ahead, yeah. like maybe someone once they have one experience, they become um, more inclined to get caught up in debunkable experiences, like they? Um, are more inclined to think it's going to happen again and are like 
quick to jump to that? Yes, yes. I see I see that happen in a lot of cases. I mean, kind of quick to jump the gun on things. And so, um, but I will tell you this. I mean, like, so I'm also a lead investigator for a very established paranormal investigation team. You know, we've appeared on several magazines. Um, we've been um, in newspapers and, and TV newscasts for um, for WBOC TV you know, different things. So we've been on a couple of TV interviews, things like that. And we've had our, some of our investigation videos streaming on, on, um, Amazon fire TV. But, um, so when we go into an investigation, if somebody calls us and says, Hey, I have paranormal activity. Okay. So we have a series of questions we go through and ask them and we interview them over the phone to try to establish is it, is this case going to be worth it for us to investigate Does it sound like they have there's something really credible here sometimes they'll give you very credible evidence and they'll show you video evidence for an example like this one guy and girl they had um um this video footage was in black and white and then you could see this guy's girlfriend he said that's my girlfriend on the right sleeping and then i said who's Who's that lady there? Is that her mom or grandmother or something? And he goes, we don't know who it is. So it wasn't even a physical person that was there. It was some type of entity that was laying there, an elderly lady. Turned out, we found out later down the road, there was an elderly lady that died in the house. And they had a a picture by the, uh, I guess, by the Christmas tree or something. There's like a, a ghostly looking image of this lady. And, you know, so they had really good video evidence that they produced just from setting up the cameras and stuff. So we already knew this looks like, you know, this is a good case for us to investigate. And we were getting all kinds of paranormal activity. A lot of things were going off on the REM pods. We were getting high EMF readings. Um, We were picking up activity on the SLS camera, the thermal camera, a lot of stuff. Yeah, so the fact that you um, investigate both UFOs and, um, you know, spirits, poltergeist, ghosts, how, however you want to refer to that side of it, which is where I started in my history with the paranormal, by the way. Um, I even looked into a little bit of cryptology when I was just a kid, right? So yeah, a little, yeah. I had those cards, the monster cards with all the different cryptids on it. I don't know if you remember those cards. They were like available at some. You know what? I just I used to love those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, I love those those kind of like any creepy crawler, you know, monster looking cars with the little monsters driving these these uh, little race cars and stuff like that. I remember stuff like that too. So, so my question was, I actually have a few questions about doing both. One is, do you feel like it's easier to get evidence for the ghost side of things that it is to get for the ufo side of things uh yeah that's actually an excellent question um yeah a lot of times i do because um part of that reason being is that we have um a quite of extensive amount of paranormal equipment you know and we you know we have just 
we're, we're you know us as paranormal investigators I and mean, we just keep buying more and more stuff we're like kids in the candy store that can't get enough candy and we just keep buying more and more stuff so it just keeps growing and growing and growing what we have so um so the tools but, is what makes it easier to get the evidence. Yeah, you know, it, it, it definitely helps a lot. And there's certain things, too, I mean, like, because, like, if you're using, like, um, like, we have some tr trigger objects objects that we use. Like, even, even like, a um, Halloween decoration, like, like, a, like a witch or something that when the kids try to reach her hand in the candy bowl and then she goes to reach her hand out to keep them from getting the candy or something. You know, it's like a trigger object there, but, um, you know, things like that, you know, you have to, sometimes they could be triggered from a pretty good distance. So you kind of have to like, know like what distance you're going to be able to set these off yourself. So when you set it up, if you go, well, if I stand way back here, nothing goes off when I'm, I'm testing it, walking back and forth. So then if you know, like, let's say you're, something's going off in the kitchen, it's a trigger device, but you're, you know, in the, in the family room or living room or something. And then you walk into the room and then you see it going off, you know, something set that off and there's no, there was no person that walked in there, you know, stuff like that. So... You know, there's things like, you know, REM pods and there's, um, you know, spirit boxes, ghost boxes, things like that, yep. where, you know, you can use to, uh, for spirit communication. Uh, one, one good tool that we really have that works great for us is we have a psychic medium um, and her teacher was Cindy Kaza from the Holzer Files, who has another paranormal show with uh i think his name's dave schrader or something like that but anyway so she was like highly recommended as a psychic medium and she's she's part of our team now and well, okay so this this leads yeah so this leads me to the next question i have about this i have um of course come to the conclusion that all of these things are connected um at in some way shape or form be it because the electromagnetic spectrum is getting triggered and that's causing increased activity across the board or you know some places are like little hot spots or something who knows why yeah. but, they, but they are connected and it has occurred to me that it would be useful in ufo investigations if we were using tools that are getting used in you know say a poltergeist investigation and i'm yeah. not quite sure why that hasn't crossed over yet i know that on amazon you can buy a ufo detector you know you can they have such things now um of course if you want to spend a little bit more money you can get really fancy and get some really high-end you know sky equipment right so stuff yeah. that will pick up infrared and all that However, I just don't understand why people don't start with like the basics and just bring a simple EMF detector on a UFO investigation. Well, you know what? I mean, that's the thing because like, okay, especially parent, people getting, wanting to get in the paranormal field, they can do, um, matter of fact, what's interesting is we, we're almost done putting together 
um, an extensive course. Uh, we have a master course, another course where people um, want to get into field and learn how to become a paranormal investigator. So, um, you know, we have, I think there's like 30 instructional videos that we're working on putting together. We're almost completed. But, um, you know, somebody could come in with a digital camera. They could come in with a, um, a digital uh, voice recorder without spending a huge amount of money and, you know, and maybe just like a, you know, something as simple as a, as a, as a K2 meter, um, that it's not going to send them, set them back too much money, you know? So, um, you know, there's some good, really good devices out there that are as far as really good about picking up stuff. Um, I had something happen to me that was really crazy. The probably the best thermal image I've ever seen, better than anything on any TV show or anything like that. So I had this brand new thermal camera I just bought, and um, my friend has, or actually the guy who's the founder director for Found Detectives, he, he has like a one you know one of those flares because they're pretty popular as a thermal camera, but. I thought, well, I was looking into other stuff and I found something that was like a real high resolution camera and it had great reviews. So I ended up buying this thermal camera and loving it. And just to kind of test things out a little bit. So I said, well, I had, you know, one of my team members take a thermal picture of me with my arms up. Now I should say that I had the shirt I was wearing had a print design on it but it was like more for like a like a uh, i think it was i was wearing my castrol shirt it was like a an old print based on like castrol motor oil or something like that so nothing and nothing that was printed on the shirt looked like anything in the image right so takes a thermal picture and the craziest thing ever you could see a set of arms wrapped around my body and you could see the hands around my waist. And those were like the hotter spots. And then it looks like you could see the body, part of a body and a neck. And then, you know, it looks like a head. But the head didn't have like a lot of, a lot of detail, really. And, my, and what I came up with was like, I noticed that it was cooler colors. Thermal colors were cooler as it got towards my back, I go, well, why is the colors hotter towards my belly? And I thought about it because, you know, that's facing the front on my belly where when you go around the back, it, my body's kind of shielding it more. That's that's kind of my theory, how I think the, the, the thermal readings got to be the way it was. But you could clearly see the fingers of a hand. I mean, it wasn't wow. like like a mitt, like some, like a mitted shaped hand. It was like all, every, every digit from every finger you could see. And it looked like this thing was owning me, like you're mine. I got you, you know? And it was kind of creepy. I mean, I got to be honest because it just really creeped the hell out of me, you know? And you know, honestly, when we talk about things like hitchhiker effect and poltergeist, the, they're kind of, almost similar aren't they they have the same results i do wonder if sometimes it there is like a 
ownership of us that happens, you know, because we put our toe into the situation and something attaches. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? And the, and the crazy thing that came into my head, a couple of thoughts were saying, I'm thinking, Oh God, I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm like, I hope this isn't like completely attached to me and follow me home or cause spirits can and have attached themselves to people. But I'm hoping that like, I hope that's not the case here. And gosh forbid if this thing's inside of me, cause that's, you know, that's the thing that's just like creeping me out the most. But so I remember taking a thermal camera uh, photo and it was gone. It wasn't there. I wasn't able to duplicate anything, but it's such a clear image that no one can debunk this thing. No one. And it was like, I think to this very day, the best thermal image I've seen. The only other one I could think that was probably as close to that was when we investigated um, this really old place called um, Bub's Brewery in Pennsylvania. It was really, really old. And they got these underground like uh, catacombs and stuff, which, and I had some, and that particular night was nuts because there was something in there that was screwing with my equipment. I had a brand new Panasonic digital recorder, fresh batteries, and it was freezing my, you know, my recorder. And then it wouldn't work until I left the room. And then I went up in another room and I was getting it to work. So I remember saying, I go, I know somebody's in here screwing with my stuff, quit screwing with my equipment. And then it did, did it with something else. And then I had, um, Melissa, who's our psychic medium, you know, helped me collect some of the stuff we left in the room to move into another room, some devices. And I remember I go, you know what? I go, I'm missing one of my REM pod devices. So I go down and it was kind of creepy because it's like really dark and, you know, but I'm going down there and I have my LED light with me. And, you know, still wasn't a lot of light in there because it's pitch black in this room, but um, my first thing I said, like, if somebody moved my equipment, can you, like, set it off to show me where it was? And then it started going off. And it was actually set on top of a barrel in a corner, which I didn't put it there and nobody else did. So uh, that was just really crazy. So, I mean, you, you run into some pretty crazy stuff, I'll say. I Yeah, I think people have to be really brave to face some of those things, because although I think I'm going to be a little bit more stable when it comes to, you know, non-human intelligence, I I actually am a little freaked out by the ghosts. And I was an investigator briefly. Um, I participated in a in a chapter that went into various haunted places and just kind of let us go loose and do like we didn't really stay together we just kind of went loose because they were big places and um there were moments when i could just feel like all the hair going up on me like like everywhere like everything was standing on end and i i felt like the cold spots and stuff and i'm like you know i don't know what it is about ghost but something about it makes me uncomfortable in a way like you just have to be so brave and uh dj likes to tell this story about how recently i went to a restaurant and the waiter told us it was haunted 
So I went to investigate. I went into the bathroom where the ghost supposedly was like showing up. And while I was standing there, the door closed on its own. And I was like, okay, I'm done now. <laughs> like, I was yeah. like, I, like, like, I just felt like that oppressive feeling that you feel at a place that has something going on. Well, you know what? And it's, what's interesting too, because we've actually gone to places to where we all, we all felt like at peace. We felt like, that there wasn't any negative spirits here. There wasn't any ne negative energy or any malevol malevolent spirits. Um, and then I remember I've been on other investigations where, like, matter of fact, I was in this lady's house and I had a hard time breathing. I felt a heaviness in my chest. I said, you know, and I told the lady um, that owned the house there, she had horse property outside, you know, the barns and things. And I said, I feel like there's really some negative energy here. And I'm feeling just like hard to breathe and this pressure in my chest. And I feel like it was just draining me, sucking the life out of me. And then I remember this other place in Philadelphia, this guy's apartment that was haunted. And um, he had cameras and stuff. So this guy had, had stuff on video that was picked up. When we did our spirit box session and I went and um, played back the audio on the SD card. I got, I can hear this lady screaming at me and saying, F you, you know, giving me the F word like she was angry. You know what? I, I think I know like, what it is. You know. I think I know what it is. I think it's because ghosts are from humans and humans are scary. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think so, that's, I think that's yeah. the issue. And then, then it was, you know, when, you know, it's really strange. And then sometimes, like, things happen because you know what i told myself is that i know that you know with their you know with everything good and godly and things like that i mean there's also um an opposite side there's evil and you know demonic and that kind of thing so um you know there there are some spirits that don't mean they can live with people in the home and they know they're there and you know, they're able to coexist and not have any problem. And there's some people that, you know, it just creeps them out and they just don't want them in their house and do that kind of thing. But we've done some, um, we've done some, some cleansing, some home cleansings to remove neg negative energy and that kind of thing. And one guy we did with, I mean, the family members were getting, feeling sick and every time he was in the house, he was getting negative thoughts of like suicide and things like that. And, you know, we went in there and, you know, we went into each room and we anointed the windows and doorways with holy oil. And we saged the inside of the rooms to clean, cleanse the negative energy. And after we did that, when he walked in the house, he goes, man, I feel like I could breathe in here. I feel like it's more peaceful and didn't have a problem, you know, since then, but there's some things some cases at least for us that's way too dark to want to get involved with i had a guy recently and i spoke with him on a phone very credible guy you know he owns a construction business and he um started doing construction work on this house that he bought and he was working there for many many months and some of his actual employees said they're you know, this is this place is really haunted. I I I, I don't even want to be here. This is the evil here. Mm 
And they actually said they weren't going to come back. These employees did not even want to come back to the house. And you know what? Okay, I don't know if you watch New Thinking Aloud with um, Jeffrey Mishloff. He recently had a professor come talk to him about his research related to poltergeists. Um, so for those who are not as familiar, there's like different levels of spirits and so forth. It goes all the way from, you know, their average ghost to um, poltergeists. And poltergeists are malicious or tricksters or, you know, they're, they're the ones where sometimes we get that negative feeling. Um, and so this professor thinks that poltergeists may actually be created from human experiences because they do occur so often in places where people are being abused or really miserable and unhappy and they omit such a negative energy um I so picture that happening yeah right so he <laughs> thinks it might be a separate thing he i don't think i don't know what he thinks about ghosts i didn't manage to watch the whole interview but he was implying that our internal abilities create that energy uh, that poltergeist activity. Well, you can have, I mean, demonic activity, like this guy that I was telling you about, he had, um, the Catholic church came to his house twice and they tried to, um, perform some kind of ceremony to get rid of the evil that was in the house. And this guy, this is no joke. I have a photograph that this guy sent me taken from his video camera. And down in the basement, there's a slide with on a castle, like for kids to play with, these big giant castles. And sitting on top of the castle, um, it didn't even look anything human at all. It looked very evil. It looked like um, it could be something definitely demonic. It had this weird green, scary face and a real skinny body really tiny really short and it had like wings on it and i said you know this definitely looks very very evil and i just had a bad feeling about it and he was telling me that he got attacked spiritually attacked he got bitten on the arm his girlfriend was picked up and thrown down on the sink um and even the catholic church when they went in there they said they were going to send the archbishop down, you know, because they're not going to send the archbishop down just for nothing unless they think you really got something there. So, and I told them, I go, well, let me ask you this. Like, why do you feel necessary to stay in the house, kids and everything? And his answer to me was, well, I don't want to leave the evilness to another buyer. I would feel really bad to put them through that. But, which I could understand that, but at the same time, I'm only like, why would you want to stay in that situation knowing that it's scaring the crap out of your kids and your wife and, and, yeah, and I was thinking your about wife, girlfriend and everybody else. Makes so me I said, think of, you know what, maybe it's time to get out, you know, and consider like what's more important, you know? It makes me think of Amityville Horror. Um, yeah. And what happened in that case was the family did move and it followed them. Um, so that's another issue that like you, it, it may not stay in the house. And again, it might be if, if it's that evil, that psychological 
component where we create it, we go from psychological to parapsychological with it, right? So yeah, it, it may not be the house that's the issue. Um, it may be someone in the house. So I know like some cases, poltergeist activity is around teenagers. You know, teenagers are going through their own psychological issues and it just yeah. seems to generate quite a bit around them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've heard I've seen some crazy things. I've seen uh, demonic scratches on people's bodies and things like that. I mean, I've had them happen to me before once. And this is before I was even a paranormal investigator. And I go, where the heck did this come from? Right. And I knew it wasn't from a dog or a cat. Because, well, I didn't have any cats. And the dog I had, it wouldn't. It didn't match up to the scratches I had. Well, I think you're... Nowhere, you know? Yeah, you're in a unique position because the fact that you're studying both at the same time, because experiencers of the UFO phenomenon often talk about having scratches and abrasions, um, often have marks they can't explain also. Yeah. So it's always a question, even with that entity that was sitting on the slide, I was wondering, was it demonic was it non-human intelligence? What was it? We don't know. We don't have the answers. We don't even know if some of these, like Bigfoot, are things that live on our planet. You know, it's such yeah. a complicated. Yeah, well, it's really hard. I mean, sometimes, like, okay, for an example, like I had a guy who was a paranormal investigator, um, who was in Chicago, and so. He went to this graveyard that he likes to frequently visit because he's captured good activity there. We won't do um, cemeteries ourselves personally because we feel it's disrespectful to do paranormal investigations around people's loved ones and things like that. So that's just us personally, so we won't touch it. Um, the most we might ever do is if somebody wanted to take some pictures of us or something, you know, that's one thing, but not like to conduct an investigation around people's tombstones. So we stay away from that. But he had like three cameras set up, these camera trees um, that were um, strapped around different trees. And I interviewed both this gentleman and, the, and this lady friend of his that were there. She claimed that she felt something grab her and pull her by the hair. He felt something grab him and pull him down to the ground. And in the video, what's crazy is it look it reminds you of a video where where it's paranormal ghostly meets the extraterrestrial. Um, because you know, looking at the footage, I can see what appears to be a ghost that walks across the screen. And I ran it at 50% speed, I ran it at full speed. And then on the right side of the screen, as you're looking at the video, there's this thing that looks like this big, massive blob thing. It reminds you like something out of the movie for, uh, uh, what's the name? Those Ghostbusters on TV. Oh, the movie, yes. you know, Ghostbusters. Like one of those green, nasty gob things and stuff. So, yeah. But this thing, like as you're watching it, it would shape shift different shapes. And he thought that it was 
some type of a portal of something extraterrestrial. Well, so, what's interesting is entities have also been described as changing shapes, and so have UFOs. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing, because when I investigated this case, the way I left it as, um, I definitely feel that there's paranormal activity captured, especially with the ghost that walked across the screen. I also feel that um, the object that was morphing in a different position, I think it's some some type of a portal or something, definitely something paranormal. But do I think it's something extraterrestrial? I don't really know enough to say that it is, mm -hmm. but I couldn't say, I couldn't debunk it either. So I couldn't say, yes, it is extraterrestrial because I, I didn't know for sure. And I couldn't say that it wasn't. So sometimes you run into cases like that where you're just kind of like in the middle of it. You know, I know it's paranormal, but I don't know exactly what it is paranormal. Well, what's, what's interesting is, um, you know, I've done a little bit more looking at Bigfoot and people who study Bigfoot talk about having encounters with orbs, which is, you know, from the UFO side of things. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's also spirit orbs from the other side of things. And then they, they talk about seeing, you know, other entities next to Bigfoot. Um, and then there's portals for all of these, like all of these phenomena, and there's portals, right? So it kind of, you know, if all of those things are accurate, it kind of lends credence to the idea of interdimensional. Like something is just yeah. popping in and out from somewhere else. In fact, when I hear these stories about ghosts, sometimes I think, you know, it's it's like a window got opened to somewhere else and something's playing that movie, like a hologram almost in yeah. current time. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's, you know, it's definitely, you know, possible. I mean. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's stuff that could be, like I was saying before, there's things that can be debunked and could be explained. And there's other things that just can't be explained. But, Is that you know, what keeps you going to find the ones that just can't be explained? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's part of it. Yeah. But, you know. I will say this, I mean, you know, um, it's believed to be that um, some of the experts feel that some of the extraterrestrial cases that have been reported have been basically staged for to create diversions and things like that, which I believe that could be possible. Uh, or to, you know, because like, let's say you, you incite fear in people's minds hmm. and you have a political reason for doing what you're doing to stare somebody to do something else. I remember like when I saw this video of these giant robots on Area 51, right? So, you know, I didn't know if this video was doctored or whatever. So what I did was I went ahead and... Um, I went to the GPS coordinates myself on Google Earth Pro and I went through the timeline of the dates and things like that. And I could see 
these robots and they provide you with these tools on the console that you can measure things with. And I measured that some of these, um, what appear to be robots, I can't say that they are for sure. That's why I say, uh, you know, possible robots, but they measured like 51, 52 to 53 feet in height. And you could see them in different pictures and stuff like that. So, um, my theory was on it that number one, um, you know, what could be the reason behind this? Why are they here? Could, you know, because why are they not inside of a hangar? You know, are they, are they too tall or, or is it because they're being left outside to, as a diversion to diverge, to throw you off or something bigger that's going on that's being kept very secretive? Um, or are these things being left outside? Are they being weather tested? You know, so I'm, I'm thinking more like, you know, this is some type of, uh, some type of robotics that are being weather tested because it's, it's been out so many years and they want to see how these things are going to stand up in the rain. And since this was out in the middle of Groom Lake or out by Groom Lake, Nevada out there, there's not really, um, as far as I'm aware, I don't think they get any snow, but. Um, I don't even think they get a lot of rain, really. But, you know, I'm sure it gets real cold out there in the night and it's real hot in the day. So they want to, you know, check, measure the temperatures and see how these things are performing. And I'm just thinking, like, you know, as big as these things are, were they so big? You know, maybe these are being operated remotely like a drone, you know, like they would have these out on the front lines and they would have the ability to have some type of um, weapon system. If if I had to hazard a guess, um, they're know, probably um, they're probably exosuits. If I had to hazard a guess, um, because the military is interested in um, making exosuits for super soldiers, and that sounds outlandish, but it's a fact. And they have a contract with a company that makes exosuits, and some of the ones that I've seen that they've made are huge. Well, the only thing about that is. But then, but we're talking about these things being 52 feet up in the air. That, that's pretty darn big. Why would they need it that big for for that reason? You know, I mean, that's pretty tall, 52 feet. Because I'm looking at the top of a two-story house here, and it's probably from the ground to the top, maybe 18, 19 feet or something, maybe 19 feet, you know. Roughly, even if it's 20 feet, you know, so imagine like, you know, 52 feet, that's like a couple two-story houses stacked on top of each other. It's pretty tall, you know. It's like Terminator. <laughs> we keep yeah. making making things that are big and scary that will crush us. But in this case, it's probably to scare someone else out. I know that we made holograms that scared people and... uh you know, we make plasma UFOs and laser beams and EM weapons and, you know, all kinds of crazy things. And they're all basically essentially experiments until they get used. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if they made 50 foot tall exoskeletons to freak people out. Um, so like that wouldn't surprise me at all. They've done worse. Yeah. So... Um, I wanted to, yeah, you know, I tell you what, like when I, 
Uh, go ahead. Yeah. I just had a question. I wanted to ask you if you were interested in Bigfoot at all, because I feel like that's just another side of the paranormal triangle, so to speak. You know what? I've always enjoyed watching those shows. Um, I remember Josh Gates did one and they had um, samples that were sent to this guy to analyze. And so, you know, I find it like very, very interesting, but I don't know enough about it to really, you know, say that it really exists or it doesn't exist. I mean, I say, you know, um, you know, why couldn't it be some kind of a primate? that's highly intelligent, you know, because if, if you, if you look at the fact that, um, take the ocean for an example, right? So according to the ocean, oceanology, ocean scientists, or what do you call them? Oceanologists or whatever. Um, there's no, you know, when you go down to far enough depths, there, there's stuff that they don't even know what it is. The, the species that, haven't been classified mm -hmm. that are way down at the bottom of the ocean, the darkest areas and stuff. And I've seen pictures of these things and these things look like the creepiest, most bizarre things. So, and, I, and I'm sure there's probably parts in the jungle of species of certain animals, snakes and, 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 and insects and things like that, that maybe haven't even been, um, classified yet you know so who's to say that there's not some type of uh highly intelligent primate out there you know because i mean after right. all i mean you never really hear anybody refer to like a baboon or a gorilla as or a chimpanzee as being dumb you know they're actually pr pretty smart so you know yeah i uh, found out fairly recently reading a book called um ufo rabbit hole um by kelly chase that they didn't actually even know gorillas were not just a story told by the indigenous people until like the 1800s like so we didn't even fully discover gorillas um like and accept them you know, until like the 1800s. I think there's a lot of creatures that are being seen by people um, that have a low population. Uh, the creatures have the low population. So people um, don't see them enough for the whole world to get to see them, right? They're just, they're pretty scarce. Um, and yes. so we just have this problem of accepting that these things could be happening. However, once, once we've established it, once we've got clear photographic evidence or, you know, a body has been taken to a scientist, um, people get over it really quick because there's like, I don't know, 20 species or at least every year that are getting discovered that had not been discovered before still, you know, like all the time. Yeah. And then once people discover it, they're like, oh, okay, that's old news. Like the giant squid, right? That yes. they finally found. It's like, eh, okay, well, so there's giant squid. It's a real thing. And so everyone just gets over it real quick. Oh, yeah. And then you figure like, you know, because um, I remember a long time ago, I remember because I've owned like several different kind of cats and things like that. 
throughout the years. And uh, I remember like going to these cat shows where they show these cats and they have like the household pets, you know, the household division. They got the purebred cats, the Himalayans and the Persians and all this stuff. But then you start seeing these other breeds of cats that are like newer breeds that like that didn't even exist um, at a certain time. And some of these breeds were just created, you know, it's like when, when I was a kid, so my grandma had a Persian cat or not a Persian. It was a Siamese. The Siamese cats now that you see in the cat show look nothing like the Siamese cats did when I was a kid growing up with my grandma. I mean, she had like the old looking, you know, the the dark kind of like a charcoal colored legs, like blackish and then it, darker shades of brown and then lighter shades of brown. And now, I mean, they're like totally different. You know, they're like real, they're not, their body shapes are more sleek, mm-hmm. more slender. It's you a know, little easier. Like that, so. Yeah, with an animal like a cat that breeds so quickly it's easier for us to see the differences quickly the same thing happened with the the fox experiment where they were trying to breed out the aggression of a fox and they found out pretty quickly after a few generations that when the aggression is bred out the fox starts to look different it starts to physically look different um and it didn't take long for them to do that experiment and have multiple generations because those are animals yeah. that just have big litters and breed a lot. Um, so they, the fox, when the aggression was bred out of them, um, started to look more and more like dogs. Like they started to have like curly hair and like it just looked softer. And it was just really interesting. The colors were changing. Yeah. It was interesting. An interesting experiment. I encourage people to go take a look at that fox experiment i always thought that was crazy interesting so yeah i think the same thing has potentially happened with the um bigfoot however there is paranormal activity around bigfoot um it's possible that the paranormal is interested in bigfoot just like it's interested in us i don't know um seems to also be interested in our oceans right (laughs) so Maybe I wanted to thank you for coming and chatting with me today about all these things. Um, you're doing amazing stuff. I'm very impressed with all the different things that you've worked on. Um, and I wanted to give you a chance to let everyone know where they could reach you if they wanted to talk to you. Yeah, most definitely. Okay, so my website um, and organization, it's called ERC which stands for Extraterrestrial Research Center. And I'm the executive director and the director of investigations. Um, You could find the ERC website at www.erc2numerical2.com. So erc2.com. And there you can, um, if you want to submit a sighting report, you can do that. But also there's some really cool videos that you can watch. There's some educational materials. And so, you know, it's just kind of a good place to, um, for people that are interested in the subject, you know, just to, um, you know, 
gain a little bit more knowledge base or or even if you have some kind of a sighting that you know you, you want to report so um like i said before we you know we're really just looking for cases that have video and photographic evidence mm-hmm. rather than just somebody thought they saw something well there's plenty of people so yeah it's been it's been fun coming on the show well thank you so much and i'm sure there's plenty of people who are going to come with you with their videos in the future so just be prepared for that i will include i will include the link in the description um if anyone wants to go check out the work that rick is doing and i wanted to thank people for listening today this is again it's dev from dev data dojo part of the calling all beings podcast network if you guys need to find me i'm at study of uaps with the ufoconnector.com part of the uap medical coalition and of course you can find me with calling all beings on youtube so thank you again rick and thank you again to everyone listening yeah that's great well thanks for having me on board now i know how the the name dojo falls into your name from the martial art background so Yes, now you do. (laughs) Take care, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.